Good morning or afternoon, St. Peter's. My name is Preston. If I don't know you, I'm one of the pastors here at St. Peter's Fireside, and I'm so grateful that you have taken time out of your day, whether it's morning or night or another time, to reflect on God's Word with us together. So let's jump into God's Word. Uh, Today we are returning to the book of Ecclesiastes. After a break, we'd been going through it for a while earlier in 2020. We've taken a break and now we're back. Let me bring you up to speed for a minute. Ecclesiastes is an ancient book written by a preacher, a preacher who is contemplating life in the face of death. And he's wrestling with all of life's biggest questions. What's life about? What's the point? Does it even matter? Is there any real weight or substance to it? Or is it all simply breath, vanity, a going around and around the sun for 80 years and then you die? Or is there more? Ecclesiastes offers us no quick answers or no cliches, but it helps us to take an honest look at what life really is that every single person faces. The range of pain and joy, of beauty and tragedy, and all the grayish moments in between. Ecclesiastes points us towards how to reckon with all of that before the one true living God. I'll I'll remind you that if you're someone who doesn't do well considering death, Ecclesiastes may be a little bit difficult for you. This passage in particular draws out the starkness of death and forces us to consider it. We'll do this together, keeping in mind that the story of Scripture is always one of hope and life for those who have ears to hear it. So will you pray with me now? Living God, we come before you and ask that you will give us ears to hear you today. As we acknowledge together the fragility of our lives and the uncertainty that we live in, will you give us courage to listen for your voice? Will you come and speak? Will you open up your throne of grace to us today through your word? In the strong name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So here's the main idea for us today. The certainty of death helps us walk through the uncertainty of life. The certainty of death helps us walk through the uncertainty of life. Well, the preacher makes two things painfully clear in this passage. One, that death is certain. And two, that life and how it pans out is uncertain, unpredictable, unknown. However, we live the other way around. We live as if death was not certainly imminent for each and every one of us, and as if life were predictable and in our control. On a daily basis, we bank much more on the plans that we've made for this weekend coming to pass than we do on the reality that we could be six feet under the ground tomorrow. This is a fantasy and pulls us into a way of living that is restless for our souls. But Ecclesiastes is telling us there's another way to live, where we accept death as certain, life as uncertain, and find a way to rest in our souls amidst these two truths. Really? Can we do this? How so? Well, we'll consider three things today. 
First, the certainty of death. Second, the, the uncertainty of life. And third, Jesus's invitation to us in the midst of that. First, death's certainty. Well, I like to picture the Bible as a large Downton Abbey-esque house with many rooms in it. Different rooms are different parts of God's story in the Bible that help us understand God in different ways in this imagination. And and in my imaginary, imaginary world, the preacher of Ecclesiastes is hanging out in a dim, musty study that overlooks the graveyard out back. Right now, we've slipped back into this study. The preacher's back is to us. He's looking out the window. He's gazing at the graveyard almost as if he's expecting a ghost to pop up at any moment. He's sort of muttering to himself. And what comes out of his mouth when he turns and looks at us makes it clear that he has been dwelling on this cemetery for some time and all that it stands for. This is what he says. Ecclesiastes 9, verses 1 to 6. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to them all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have all perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. The same event happens to all, says the preacher. Death. It is certain. In fact, It's the most certain thing we can count on. To the rich and to the poor, to the loved and to the unloved, each and every person you know in this world and the billions you do not know will all die. The quality of one's life has nothing to do with it. Your character, your faith, your relative success or failure, none of it changes the fact that you will die one day. It's not about fairness or justice. It's simply reality. Verse 6 laments of the dead. Their love and their hate and their envy have all perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. The things that occupy your heart constantly, that define you, your loves and passions, the things you hate and the things you loathe, they will all be gone in the next 100 years. A blip a mere mist on the radar of history. On this, I am so certain that there is only one cosmic event that could prove me wrong. 
and that is the return of Jesus Christ to call his bride, the church, finally home and establish his kingdom in full. If that happens in our lifetime, I am wrong. But if it doesn't happen in our lifetime, we will all die a physical death. No escaping it. Yet, despite this certainty, most of us live as if it were not the case. We know death will come on one level, but it's not something we spend time properly reckoning with. Now, this is understandable, for the sureness of death, as we've said before, certainly does pop every human ambition. And it can be unsettling to consider the surest, most reliable thing that you know about your life is that it will end in death. And no one alive knows experientially what the other side of that doorway will look like. To cope with death's uncertainty, well, we respond in a couple of ways. One, as we used to say in my college days, we would pride ourselves in working hard and playing hard. We throw all we have into this life, at achievement, at making a difference, at filling our little kingdoms with as many experiences or lovers or pleasures or comforts to deal with the reality that one day it'll all be over. As Red famously says in Shawshank Redemption, get busy living or get busy dying. Or two, others retreat from the certainty of death by simply ignoring it, by refusing to let their minds encounter this reality. I grew up in North Carolina, and every fall on the East Coast is hurricane season. And every year you have these news reporters who go down to the coast in the midst of all the whipping winds and crashing waves. Often there are evacuation notices telling everyone to leave their communities for safety. But the news reporters go there to find the few people who simply refuse to go. Despite everyone fleeing for the hills, a few folks are still out there mowing their lawn. It looks insane, yet it's how many of us live. And it's one reason the coronavirus pandemic has been very difficult, especially for these people. Because it's gotten much, much harder to ignore the reality of death. One recent commentator quipped, the coronavirus has mugged us with reality, the reality of death. So we avoid the certainty of death by working hard and playing hard, building our kingdoms while the sun shines, or living in a dreamland and pretending like the tidal wave of death is an illusion. Yet that tidal wave does come and reveals that both of these ways of dealing with it will fail. The kingdoms we've built for ourselves the treasures we've stored up are not only eaten away by rust and decay, our hearts are eaten away by rust and decay too. Restless, disappointed. And you certainly can't avoid death by ignoring it. All that does is leave you incredibly unprepared to cope with it when it happens to your loved ones. Again, as the preacher ruminates, the same thing happens to us all. But this eccentric preacher in the study has more to say, too. Death is certain, and life is incredibly uncertain. Verses 11 and 12 say this. 
Again I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time, when it suddenly falls upon them. Sure, the fastest usually win the race. The strong usually wins the fight. Things often happen as we anticipate. But not always. And more often does the unexpected happen than we sometimes realize. This is harder for me and you to grasp if you're living in the modern, developed world like me, where society is engineered to predictability, where trains show up on time, where people stop at stoplights, where your bank account is insured, and your calendar app tells you what's going to happen this, this morning, and it probably did. It's often right, isn't it? So we don't deal well with the unpredictability of life. We're not trained for it. Those in, the, those in the world who don't know where their next meal is coming from or who live in a war zone actually cope much better with uncertainty than we do because it's woven into the very fabric of their day-to-day material needs. For if you live in Somalia or South Sudan, for example, you know what this is like more than those of us living in Canada. But there's more. The information age that we live in has catapulted our inability to cope with uncertainty even more. With vast stores of data at our fingertips, from the weather next week, to the current status of your bank account, to the potential partners that may be within a kilometer of you right now, we're trained, we're formed into believing life is certain and controllable. After all, I have the remote right here in my pocket. Then the coronavirus pandemic strikes. Then violent racism breaks out and what we thought was the 1960s history lesson begins to happen in our streets. And we realize the certainty we expect from life is built upon society functioning well and continuing to progress which 2020 has shown us is a lot to take for granted. So how do we respond when we're mugged by the reality of uncertainty? When we see the preacher, when we see with the preacher that time and circumstances happen to everyone and upset all of our expectations? How do we cope? The most common way we try to deal with this uncertainty is to control what we as humans cannot control because we're not God, or should not control because we end up doing damage. Let's look at how this plays out in a couple ways. You feel stuck in a rut. Former hopes and desires in life haven't worked out. Plans for the good life, however you define that, now feel very uncertain for you. You feel like you're on a cogwheel path to mediocrity. So you grasp onto the one good thing, a time in life, in the past, or a person, and try to hold on to it, to control it, to fix that problem. 
This is the person in 2004 who still tells everyone who listens, back in 82, I could throw a pigskin a quarter mile. That's Uncle Rico from the 2004 movie Napoleon Dynamite. He still lives for his high school football career as a middle-aged traveling salesman. It's all he can think about or talk about. He films himself running football drills. He always has a football nearby. And he even dresses like a senior in high school from the 1980s. It's funny because Rico caricatures a habit of heart that many of us, including myself, are familiar with. Escape the uncertainty or the unfulfilling quality of life I have now by returning in my heart to that moment or season or night when I felt like I really mattered. This can also happen by grasping things in the present or doing everything I can to align my wishes for, a, for an expected future. For me, sinking all of my time and attention, my hopes even, and all my dreams into my children, thus placing on them an expectation that they can never fulfill, which becomes a burden that can crush them. When we deal with uncertainty by fixating on good things in our lives, whether people or memories or plans or hopes, we crush them in our grasp. There's other ways we grasp for control when we meet the insurmountable uncertainty of the world. Here's a few to consider in self-reflection. Do you gather more and more information looking for control? Read everything you can about the coronavirus because more information helps you feel in control. The problem is that it's a fire hydrant you can't stop. You and I lose control of the content. We don't know what to do with it all and we drown in it. Then we feel more paralyzed and fearful than when we began. Here's another. Do you look for peace in predictions? It's like this. If I can lodge my thinking on a solid prediction, everything feels more manageable. But it's just a prediction. How many reports have you seen predicting what the world will look like after the pandemic? There are endless street prophets out there right now making many a prediction, offering another way to cope with uncertainty. Even if it's a bleak prediction, it's a picture you can plan for. But no one knows what will happen today, friends. No one knows what will happen tomorrow or next year. No one knows when there will be a vaccine. No one but God alone. And you know what? It's okay. It's okay because we're safe in God's hands. Humanity is God's project, not ours. Jesus is Lord in 2020 just as he was in 2019, and just as he will be in 2021. Don't forget that. Here's one last way we try to deal with uncertainty. Blame. We find someone to point a finger at. Because if it's someone else's fault, then it feels more manageable. We know what to do then. Throw that person under the bus. And then we can have a handle on the situation. Racial conflict and injustices in our world today feel so out of control. 
so difficult to know what to do. Throwing blame at others is an easy, crass way to feel more in control. It's tempting, though, isn't it, to say the whole problem is because of the White House. But we know it's more complex than that. But blame feels good in the moment, doesn't it? Whoever you want to blame. Because we can feel an illusion of control over something that is not easily fixed. So how do we reckon with the certainty of death and the uncertainty of life? Building our kingdoms for us or ignoring it or trying to control the world through escapism or manipulating or blaming others to cope? None of this actually alleviates the restlessness because none of these options are facing the stark reality that Ecclesiastes sets before us. Death is certain. Life is uncertain. It is the way it is. The preacher, from his vantage point, gives us a suggestion in verses 7 to 10, which I admit can sound like the work hard, play hard option I talked about earlier. But listen closely to it. It's not quite that. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought, no knowledge or wisdom and shale or death to which you are going. You see, God is delighted when his children delight in the good gifts he has given them. That's what the preacher's saying. Not idolizing those gifts, not manipulating those gifts, but receiving with gratitude, lightly, freely, not sinking our fingers in deeply and making them our all. What the preacher has done is tried to free us to live with gratitude and joy within our God-given boundaries by forcing us to consider what those boundaries really are, death and our lack of control in life. He's right. It does help. It does help us reckon with it. But I think we need a little bit more help, too. And for this, I want to speak to you about Jesus' invitation. Jesus is unique in how he reckons with this problem. You see, Jesus offers us a way of life that fully reckons with the reality, the stark reality that the preacher has set before us. To the certainty of death and its fear, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You can live this mortal life following Jesus. You can live it holding plans lightly and with gratitude because every good thing is received as a foretaste of the resurrection life to come. As he arose from the grave, those who are in Christ 
will rise again too. To the uncertainty of life, well, Jesus doesn't solve this one in the same way. He actually makes the uncertainty a little bit bigger. In the Gospels, when Jesus invites people to follow him, he invites them into a great, vast unknown. Sell all you have and come after me. Let the dead bury their dead. You, come follow me. And the disciples, remember, they left their nets, their livelihood, and followed him. On the road following Jesus, uncertainty is the norm. We should expect it. Following a God who came to us as a traveling rabbi, who continually challenged people to do incredibly uncomfortable, difficult, hard things. And that is okay, because uncertainty is not your enemy. Uncertainty will always be with you in this life. And uncertainty itself does not create a restless soul inside you. Millions of Christians, today and throughout the centuries, have lived lives in fear of persecution, hunger, famine, sword, just as the Apostle Paul did, who famously said those words, yet have vibrancy of soul, yet have strength in Christ. Something else is responsible for that restlessness. It's disconnection from God. Disconnection from God will dry up your soul. Sue Johnson, who's a psychologist and marriage therapist, says conflict isn't what kills marriages. Loneliness does. And it's the same with us and God. That's why Jesus doesn't offer a solution to solve all of your conflicts and all of those uncertainties. That's not what he's about. Jesus offers something different. He offers an invitation to abide with him, to be near with him, to draw close to him in those things, in those seasons, in those moments, and to be with him in deep communion through the uncertainty of life and through the face of death. So will you pray with me now? And here's what I want to do. Will you take a moment now to bring to mind something that you feel uncertain about? And that's causing you despair or fear. Just one thing. Something that you really would like to control this situation or this person. You really want to determine the outcome. But you can't because you're not God. So just close your eyes now and bring that to mind. Maybe put your hands out and hold it in your hands. Name what it is. Hold it here. And then picture yourself with Jesus. Picture yourself bringing your hands out towards his hands and releasing it, giving it over to him into his loving hands, his trustworthy hands. And know that those hands of his are safer than yours. They'll handle it better than you will. Jesus' hands carry the scars of death for you. He knows pain. And they carry the hope of resurrection life for you. 
he knows life too. This Jesus who is near to you now, his presence is always available to you by his spirit. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, now that you will be close to each one of us. Me now filming this in a church, each and every person listening on Sunday or later in their living room or home or office. We pray that your nearness will draw so close that we will be able to rest in the freedom of knowing you and trusting you with our uncertainties and with our fears. We pray that your presence will sustain us to walk deeper and deeper in trust with you this day.